Once upon a time, on the top of a high mountain, something happened. Something that had never happened before and has not happened since. A unique event with striking characters and fabulous temptations and heroic acts of resistance and ancient words and after all was done, angels. An event so great and terrible that the whole universe could fairly be said to have held its breath awaiting the outcome. A young man, apparently quite ordinary, only recently baptized, was wandering through the desert. Many days had passed, days without food or water, days full of wandering and prayer, prayer that had long since been reduced to the groaning of his spirit, and yet it was still prayer, and a good thing too, because the young man was not alone. Somewhere along the way he'd been joined, pursued more likely, by the accuser, the tempter, the adversary, the enemy, Satan. The devil had pursued the young man into the wilderness and there tempted him, first with bread and an appeal to the empty stomach and the good heart of the young man, a heart filled with compassion for the least of these, the poor and hungry, a temptation resisted by the words of Scripture, which sustained the young man when bread would not. Second, with an appeal to the young man's desire to be successful in his calling, a calling to manipulate all to believe in the message the young man had received from God, a temptation resisted by words of Scripture, which reminded the young man that what was important was not success, but faithfulness. And now to the high mountain, where the devil tempted Jesus a third time by offering him the whole world in exchange for a simple act of worship. All the kingdoms, all the world, all the splendor, all power on earth would be handed over to Jesus, and all he needed to do was bow down and worship the devil. And the third time reveals all. Now we understand what the devil is up to. It's about power, I think. Who cares that Jesus is hungry? The devil certainly didn't. The real temptation was to use power to break his fast. And who cares whether anyone really believed what Jesus had to say? The real temptation was to use his power to manipulate people into believing. And here on the high mountain, the devil's agenda is fully exposed. Now, who can say what motivates the devil? Well, perhaps he's simply tempting Jesus in the way that he himself would be tempted. So the devil tempts Jesus with the only thing that would tempt him, that is power. The devil wants Jesus to subordinate everything else, his commitment to God, his love for Israel, his message in order to exercise power the way the devil himself wishes he could. And Jesus says, no. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited on him. And the universe breathed a sigh of relief because all would be well after all. Well, once upon another time, on the top of a high mountain, something happened, something that had never happened before and has not happened since. A weary band of disciples, 11 in all. And oh, the things they'd seen on their way. Miracles and signs and wonders, healings and sermons and acts of mercy, enough to keep them following, wandering after the one they called rabbi, teacher, master, Christ, Lord. Enough to keep them following from Galilee to Jerusalem and back to Galilee and then again back to Jerusalem. The last time coming into the city with flags flying and banners waving a triumphal entry but barely enough to keep them following through the days that came after. Terrible, confusing, horrible days. Betrayal, arrest, denial, beating, ending on a cross, 
ending in a death, ending in a tomb. But not ending. That's the thing. The thing that makes this second happening on the top of a mountain so wonderful, so unique, so never happened before or since. Because what usually brings a story to its end, death and a tomb, in this case did not. The story was too big for such an ending. Too powerful because it was God's story. And so even the usual ending had to bend to accommodate God's purposes. And so a stone was rolled away and the grave clothes were set aside and the body was gone and here two angels appeared to bear witness to what had happened. And then other witnesses were made. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And then through their testimony, the other disciples also became witnesses to the resurrection. And now they are gathered, the eleven, on the top of a high mountain to which Jesus has called them. And they worshipped him. But some doubted, Matthew says. Now what they doubted, we can't say. Did they doubt what they were seeing? Did they doubt what had come before? Did their doubt prevent them from worshipping? The text doesn't really indicate all that happened here. It just says that some worshipped. Or that they worshipped him. Speaking as one who's had his share of doubts over the over the years, I'd like to think that they all worship Jesus, the confident and the doubting together. Sounds like church to me. Then Jesus speaks. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we hear an echo, don't we? From that first mountaintop event. When the devil offered Jesus all authority on earth, offered Jesus all the kingdoms on the earth, if only Jesus would bow down and worship the devil. And we realized what we ought to have known all along, that the devil was making a promise he simply could not keep. That authority was never his to give. That authority belongs to God. And it was, in the end, given to Jesus. And not just authority on earth, but all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority now belongs to the crucified and risen one. The power that the devil figured to be so tempting was given to Jesus after all. But not by way of magical acts, not by way of challenging God to prevent him from coming to harm, not by bending his knee to evil. The power was given to Jesus after he'd completed his work, a work which depended not on mighty acts or the grasping of human or state power, but instead on the laying down of his life. And when that work was done, God raised Jesus from the dead. And with that power and its purpose now fully revealed, God handed it over to Jesus. And again, the devil went away empty-handed. Death had been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we come down from the high mountain and we are changed for being there. Where before we were a bit ragtag, a bit uncoordinated, something less than one. Now we are a people with a purpose, a mission. A mission born in worship, empowered by the one who has received all authority in heaven and on earth. A mission carried out in all that we do. A mission whose purpose is to draw others to the top of that same high mountain. So that they too may learn to love and serve the Lord. And remember... 
Christ is with us always to the end of time. Our sisters and brothers in the Mennonite church in Tanzania invite us this morning to take the trip to the top of the high mountain to witness first the rejection of human forms of power, forms of power which inevitably become corrupted and even demonic, forms of power used to enrich oneself or to lift oneself above others or to rule over others for one's own benefit. On the mountain we watch as Jesus rejects that power and instead insists upon and claims his own call to be a servant, a servant all the way to the cross. And then to the second mountaintop, where we see the risen Jesus, his mission completed, and with the disciples and our sisters and brothers in Tanzania and all around the world, we rightly fall to our knees and worship the risen Savior and Lord. And they are here that all authority in heaven and on earth now belongs to Jesus. And we know that our impulse to worship was right. And then these words, Go, therefore. Our mission is attached to, it's extended from what we've just heard. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. Therefore, go. Because all authority belongs to Jesus, go. Go and make and baptize and teach and remember. Do these things as a result of the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus, has been given to Jesus by God. There is, I think, an intentional movement in the scene on the second high mountain, from the call of Jesus to go to meet him there, to the act of worship, to the words of authority, to the command to go and do, to the promise of Christ's presence with us always, which I think leads us right back to worship and then to going and doing and so on. There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm being created here, a rhythm which ties worship and service together into a compelling dance which leads not only us but everyone we meet into the same movement, the same circle, the same dance, which leads to salvation. And that is, I believe, what our sisters and brothers in Tanzania want to tell us this morning. They want to remind us that worship and service are together the work of God's people. Worship and service are together our liturgy. One could even go a step further and say that our service is worship and worship is service, that the two are not only linked together in some way but are in fact one in Christ. This is the way the Benedictines understand the liturgy, the work of the people. In their monastic spirituality, the Benedictines proclaim that everything done in Christ is worship. Prayer and singing and corporate gathering and reading of scripture and meditation are all obviously worship. They are all obviously liturgy. But the Benedictines would take us further and insist that there are less obvious forms of liturgy, less obvious forms of worship. Things like raking the yard and mowing the grass and planting a tree and gathering honey and making bread. These too are acts of worship. And we might want to add serving a meal, providing a safe place to sleep, speaking words of peace into a conflict, teaching Sunday school, providing child care, caring for a friend or a loved one who's dying. These acts of service, too, are rightly called worship because we are disciples of Christ, because we are new creatures in Christ. Everything we do when done in Christ and for Christ's sake is worship. All of it brings glory to God. All of it is done for the sake of Christ and in response to his command to go and do. Now, at the center of our liturgy is 
of course, the command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. At the center is the command to bear witness to the truth of what we've seen on the top of the mountain, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, that death has been conquered once and for all, that God has intervened in time and history and has set the course of creation toward redemption, that all authority in heaven and on earth already belongs to Jesus and that his presence abides with us always, always, always and forever. We call others to know and believe these things, and we invite them into the waters of baptism where they die with Christ and are raised with Christ, and we teach them all that we ourselves have learned of Christ, and we gather with them in worship where we remember who Jesus is and that Jesus is always with us, and then they join with us in the going and the doing. This is our mission. This is our service. This is our worship, this making of disciples, and we do so in a multitude of ways. We teach our children what we saw on the mountain, and we invite them to come up there with us and see for themselves. We invite others by our words and our actions to do the same. And we welcome and invite and make room for uh, and do everything we can through the power of God to carry out this mission, this, this service. And our desire to engage in that service, our passion for mission, is renewed in corporate worship. When we gather together with sisters and brothers in Christ, it ought to be like going back to the top of that mountain. In corporate worship, we remember who Jesus is and who we are because of that and how we ought to live and speak as a result. And so the movement we witnessed on the mountain continues worship and service flowing from one to the other and back again. And all of it's shaped by the truth revealed by Jesus when he resisted human forms of power in favor of the wisdom of God, the self-sacrificial way of the cross. We don't carry out our mission. We do not serve by exercising human power and will to convince or manipulate or coerce others into our way of believing or being. Instead, we witness and serve the way Jesus did. We offer ourselves up freely. We lay down our arms. We resist human forms of coercive power. We try to do all things in love. We embrace our neighbors and our enemies. We don't insist that only those are welcome who look like us or live like us or think like us. We lay down. We resist all of those ways of relating and behaving, all forms of coercion and manipulation and power mongering. We lay them down. And so bear witness to what we have seen on that second mountain in a way which reveals to what we witnessed on the first. We make disciples through serving. And this makes good sense, doesn't it? I mean, if we truly believe that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus and not to us, we can be a lot less anxious, less insistent, less worried that this making of disciples is entirely ours to do. I mean, if it's up to us to save the world, well then, we better do so by any means necessary. The sword, manipulative marketing, bait and switch, promises of wealth and health, money-back guarantees, pie in the sky, rigid insistence on keeping the law, whatever it takes to bring them in and keep them in if it's up to us to save the world. But if we believe what we witnessed on the mountain, if we believe that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Christ, and if we believe that he is and will be with us always and forever, then we ought to be able to admit that the saving of the world belongs to Christ. We worship 
We go, we do, we make disciples, we baptize, we teach. But everything, heaven and earth, everything already belongs to Christ. Everything already is under Christ's authority, including us, including sisters and brothers around the world, including everyone and everything else, the devil included. And so we're free to lay down the temptation to power, the temptation to turn our service and our worship into coercive acts, acts of manipulation, acts like the ones resisted by Jesus himself on that high mountain so long ago. Instead, instead, we love and serve the Lord and invite everyone we meet to do the same. And to some we will speak words which will tell of what we saw on that mountain, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us and how he has changed the world and what his love and sacrifice will one day bring to pass. To others we will reveal that truth by acts of mercy and kindness, sharing and caring and offering assistance and gifts of time and energy and finances and an open heart and a listening ear. To others we will offer an invitation to come and see to come and see what Jesus did and who Jesus is and how Jesus has formed our community, making plain the rough edges along with the smooth, humbly admitting that the work among us is not yet completed, but it is happening. And to others, we will bear witness to decision, by decisions we make about our relationship to the culture or the state, lifestyle decisions like refusing to register for the military draft or reducing our carbon footprint or sending our children to a Mennonite school. All of these are ways of revealing the truth we witnessed on that mountain. And with God's help, acts of witness and service, which will make disciples. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ Jesus we do these things and many more besides, trusting that the ever-present Christ will bring about the miracle of salvation and so bowing down in worship to the one who alone can do this. Our sisters and brothers in the Mennonite church in Tanzania have offered us a wonderful gift this morning. They've offered us an opportunity to walk with them to some high mountaintops and there to see things we have known to be true but so easily forget that Jesus resisted the temptation to power offered by the devil, that in the end such power was really not the devil's to give, that Jesus carried out his mission another way entirely through self-sacrificial service, ending in the wisdom of God, the cross, which seems foolish to the world, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that Jesus was given all authority in heaven and on earth and commands us to go and do and promises to always and forever be with us. This opportunity to walk up the mountain today and to worship the one that we find there, it is a gift. And because of that gift, we join our sisters and brothers from Tanzania and around the world, and together we walk back down the mountain and engage in the service for which we were created and to which we have been commanded. And with them, we remember the promise that Christ is always with us. And so we're drawn again to fall on our knees in worship and then to serve and back again and back again and back again until the day of Christ's coming. Thanks be to God, sisters and brothers, for this great and marvelous gift. Amen. <laughs>